This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome into the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. I'm Tom Oates. You know, we've spent some time on the podcast focusing on working with and engaging families. A lot of times you've heard about meeting families where they are and how agencies are working to become family-centered. But I want to toss some questions out there. How are families really shaping our programs and systems? Are they involved in the development and the continuous improvement of systems and services? If not, how can professionals and agencies incorporate the families in planning or gaining support from leaders and legislators to making those improvements that we're seeking? Well, in today's episode, The Power of the Parent's Voice, we're going to talk about that and spend some time talking about the work of the Parent Advisory Council put together by the Friends National Center for Community-Based Child Abuse Prevention. Now, this is a group of parents, all with various and long-standing personal experiences with child welfare. Now, they share their personal stories to put a relatable face on child welfare which you'll hear goes a long way to impacting decision makers. Uh, They also provide insight into the barriers or concerns parents may have when agencies are designing programs or applying for grants. Their insight provides a valuable perspective that many times isn't present. So we chatted with three members of the Parent Advisory Council. Bruce Bynum has a history of kinship care, plus he's worked as a coordinator for Parents Helping Parents and Kinship Navigator for the Kansas Children's Service League. And currently, he's a family consultant for the Capacity Building Center for States. Jessica Deal created a Parent Advisory Council for Missouri, and she's a current member of it. She served on the Missouri Family Partnership Steering and Planning Committee multiple times and served on the Policy Council for Early Head Start for about two and a half years. She's also facilitated multiple parent and community cafe workshops, seminars, and webinars. And Sam Blue is a community engagement specialist for the Vision for Children at Risk through Project Launch, which is short for Linking Action for Unmet Needs in Children's Health. Sam was selected as both the Missouri and Region 7 Head Start Association's 2011 Father of the Year. So we talk about how agencies can leverage parents' voices, uh, key barriers to recognize, and some of the aha moments professionals have when first hearing some of these impactful stories. Now, before we get into the conversation, I want to share with you part of Sam's story. And this is about a minute long, but it's part of Sam discussing his personal parent journey and how he became involved with Head Start. And you can find actually 20 parent stories recorded and posted on the Friends website, and two of them are actually in Spanish. We'll have a link to them on this podcast webpage over at acf.hhs.gov slash cb. Just search podcast. And so, all right, take a quick listen to Sam's story, and then we jump right into the conversation. I got this. I'm dropping off my son to the Grace Shield Head Start program. He was previously kicked out of the daycare for jumping and dancing on tables. I one day tried to sign the signing sheet quickly so I could catch up on some work projects. 
But Abraham teacher stopped me before I could get out the door. Mr. Blue, you need to spend time with your son in the classroom. I had two jobs, plus I felt at the time that was their job. <laughs> she looked me directly in my eyes and demanded that I rearrange my schedule to make time for Abraham's emotional and social well-being. The highlight of my day was the outside activities. We played kickball, slide down the sliding board together. All of a sudden, Abraham jumped into the wagon and asked me to pull his wagon. That was the last thing I wanted to do. Before I knew it, other children begged to jump in the wagon. In my mind, I screamed, please get me out of this play yard so I can go and make some money. After recess, Abraham teacher asked me to run for president of the center's parent committee. Well, I ran for president, and to my surprise, I won. I will forever be grateful for pulling my son's wagon. So now we're joined by Jessica, by, by Sam, and by Bruce, and we just heard a snippet from, from Sam on, on telling a, a little piece of your story. And Sam, I want to start with you. When you tell your story, and there are folks from child welfare agencies in, in the audience, and they're hearing you for the very first time, what's the reaction that they're giving you? Well, Tom, uh, depends on who you're talking to and uh, what region of the country they, they're coming from. Uh, I recall uh, going to uh, a conference and, and, and made uh, mention of that story in a shortened version. And uh, that particular practitioner, which he was, he was uh, a new practitioner, uh, said, oh, my, if we interact with, uh, with the parents uh, the way you uh, propose, uh, those parents would relapse. They would, uh, they would have some issues. So we, we don't uh, interact like that with parents. I was shocked. Um, and to others that I've, uh, I've talked to, they, they respond, uh, they received it real well. Uh, wow, what can we do more to, uh, to engage with you and, uh, and to understand uh, uh, real-time issues? So it's a mixed uh, mix, uh, reaction. Uh, but I am of conscience now uh, when I do tell the story now and to kind of get a little background information on uh, uh, or their new practitioner and what region they, they're coming from and how can we get, bring them up to speed when it comes to uh, our parent issues. So this is what we're talking about. What do we do in that professional setting to, to, to involve parents, to involve that story uh, in, in the best way possible that can really shape the system for better outcomes. So, so Sam, I'll start with you. Um, what can agencies do? Because, hey, and we heard it at the beginning during, during the introduction, the, the, the biographies that you guys have, you've got the great lived experience, decades worth. So what are the best ways that, that those agencies out there, if they want to get parents involved, identify those types of parents who are, who are suitable or qualified. What are the best ways they can do to, to find the right folks? Well, Tom, uh, first they just need to identify all parents, whether they're doing big things or great things or small things, should I say. Um, you know, just uh, showing up at a, uh, at, a, at a conference or a parent meeting or the small things they're doing in the community whether big or small, they need to uh, recognize all parents. And um, also they need to better engage, strategically engage parents in retreats, 
um, and what we've been using like cafes or uh, where they can get around the table, be around the table with parents and take off that practitioner hat and uh, get on their levels and uh, to engage them more and understand where they're coming from. And there's got to be a sense of just getting that story from folks, because that's what we do. We sit around a table and we have conversations. And how do you leverage those conversations in terms of you know, making the real value to, to have an impact uh, across a system? So, so Bruce, you're part of this as well. So you identify maybe a parent and, and they, they become comfortable with, with wanting to share that story. What can then agencies do to, to kind of prepare themselves, prepare those parents uh, for sharing those stories? effectively? Well, there's uh, what I look at is the main thing is get them involved in stuff that Sam related to earlier that, you know, facilitate roles and group support, uh, have support groups for the parents. Parents Cafe, which Sam mentioned, is a really great way to have the petitioners and the parents come together and to be able to not have a specific role, but every voice is respected, every voice is heard. And it's amazing when you do these kind of things, especially that parent cafe, how they were able to hear the parents and the parents be able to hear them. And they find there's a lot of similarities. And that's really a great thing. Community councils uh, really kind of form those things in their communities, help the parents do that. They're going to need some help. And some may already have those things, so support it. And uh, parent leadership advisory councils. Uh, Kansas does a great job at that. They really do a fantastic job. Friends has a lot of resources. I know we got to talk about that. That really talks how to reach out, how to look at parents and really those kind of pros and cons, but a lot of the really the, the more pros that helps. So you can look at what maybe some of the diff, uh, I say uh, dif- difference or what's better, what's worse for the agency, wherever the region they live in. So state, national conference uh, attendance and present. So find those parents who uh, have a voice, work with them in these other things, and you know let them allow to be a presenter as well for these national, uh, statewide, and national conferences. And that way, more petitioners get to hear them. And legislative advisory opportunities, uh, those are just things when a parent actually goes to a legislator, they're more willing to hear than it is just a body program. So it's really interesting how powerful that parent's voice is when they're up in front of legislators, which can help promote the programs that the agencies are looking at. And then finally, uh, committee states, uh, national advisories, council task force, boards of directors. So parents should be involved in every aspect of a uh, agency. And when they do those things, they actually get to see them. They get to, you know, get to hear what they do. And it really makes an impact on the agency that, really in turns do less work instead of more work for the agencies because now the parents are promoting the agency. You know, and it's one of those things where you you start to realize we tell stories about people. And when we tell stories about people, especially ourselves, other people can relate to that. Where a program with a system and, and dollars, that's important for the structure. But if you really want to talk about the impact, it's person to person. So taking advantage of that. Hey, Sam, uh, I'm sorry, Bruce, let me let me follow up on that for a second. What about those parents that are willing, but maybe a little apprehensive about getting in front of an audience? Well, uh, that comes through uh, repetitiveness (laughs) and encouragement. When you believe in somebody and you respect them and you respect what they're saying, you honor what they're saying. It's not like, oh, here's a parent or throw them off. But this is part of our, this parent's part of our agency. 
they have as much voice as we have. So when the top to the bottom believes in that parent, that parent is even more apt to go out. And then just like you're doing with the, this podcast, uh, tell us, even if we mess up, it's okay. Even if you don't get it right, uh, if your heart is right, if what you really believe in is right, then it'll come across good. It's, nobody want to hear a polished, polished person who never errors or never makes a mistake. The more honest you are, and even when you say, I'm uncomfortable, but I'm doing this not because of me, but I'm doing it because I want to see families become better and be able to have the resources that's needed in order to keep families together. So when it's like that to me, that's the power. And you are doing nothing wrong. Let me let, let me just say. And so I, I, again, appreciate everyone's time, including Jessica. And so this was something that when we talked earlier, before we recorded, uh, there is a key distinction because agencies have, you know, those parent partners that they may use or, or you know, kinship navigators where they've got kind of a, a Rolodex of parents that could be at their disposal, and then some of them actually become employees. And Jessica brought up a point, I'd love for you to, to, to repeat it about the importance that you have these parents that are sharing their stories not be practitioners. Jessica, why is that so important? It's, uh, it's really important to bring parents to the table who are not practitioners because practitioners typically come to the table representing their agency or organization and so thereby they are following their policies and procedures and guidelines and and they're not necessarily thinking as a parent even if they may be one parents have a different point of view they have different experiences um, than most practitioners. And when they bring that to the table, it can not only help other families within the programs that these agencies and organizations serve, but it can also um, help them better services that may be lacking, you know, what's working, what's not, what might need to be modified to best uh, to give the best service to families, um, to give them a higher chance to succeed. You know, you bring up something very interesting that uh, as, as, you know, Sam and Bruce, and we, you know, we heard part of Sam's story uh, when they, when, you know, you're in front of an audience and, and sharing the kind of real life examples through this, but it's not always through a presentation that you can kind of leverage the power of the parent's voice. So, so Jessica, I want to get a sense of how you and other parents have really worked throughout an agency, not just in a presenting role. If you could give me maybe some examples of, of what you've been able to do to really impact systems and what you've seen within those states of, of kind of the impact of, of having that parent perspective involved in, let's say, the, the, the planning or the, or the development of either a process or a program. You can, myself and other parents, um, they can join uh, parent advisory boards or councils, uh, whichever they choose to call it, and um, voice their opinion on what's working, what's not, um, review materials that are being provided and let practitioners know whether or not they're still relevant, whether they need to be updated. They can speak to um, 
CBCAP state leads when they come down to review the programs and inform them on, on, on again, what's working, what's not, what needs to be modified to best service parents all the way around. And they can also do this by uh, serving on Head Start, Early Head Start policy councils. Um, I personally have joined a committee um, post the Joplin tornado to help establish a guideline on how to find kids who were affected by trauma and how to go about asking them how to do that. And so that they didn't step on any toes, but at the same time, they were providing the best service possible for children and their families. Um, you can also do this by um, reviewing grants that they might uh, be applying for. Um, uh, creating resource guide for your community to help help uh, find resources that people might not know of. So instead of getting a resource list that is outdated and many of the places don't exist anymore, parents will have something that's really a useful tool. That's they a can heck of help a list. with fundraisers and volunteer for um, activities that the, the agencies and, and the organizations put on. That is, that's an impressive list of where we talk about the power and that having that perspective. And especially, you know, you brought, you brought up in, in terms of the writing of the grants, when you have to talk about where the program is going to be effective, looking at resources and say, is this really valuable to a parent? What are they thinking and how would they use this or not be able to use this? So, so Bruce, when, when you get a chance to be at that level, when you get a chance to really start to work with an agency in terms of the planning or, or even their execution, Talk to me about when kind of the, the light bulb pops on in their head and they have these aha moments of realizing the value that you are providing. What's it like for those states when they when when they are leveraging the parents' voice kind of for the first time? Well, uh, you know, kind of really, aha moments come in a way that sometimes you you know something, but you really don't know till you hear it or see it yourself. And you say, well, uh, I've been hearing stories about parent leaders. I've been, you know, we've been kind of afraid. We've been kind of scared to look at these things or the apple don't fall far from the tree, you know, all those kind of things. But then when they actually, like what Jessica was saying, involve parents and get them involved, these aha moments come like it, it has relationship between families and providers. I mean, what better aha moments now to say the things we struggled at, the things that we worked so hard to do, is now coming together because now parents are advocating for our agency. Parents are now saying, hey, this is a great agency that has resources that care and really wants to hear your voice. When a parent tells another parent something, it's going to be powerful to that agency who's trying to get more families involved. A lot of times they say, well, we can't find, we can't, you know, this. there's a lot of Kate sometimes. But then when you have the aha moments, you're like, wow. Now that because we embrace it, we're finding that now our families are working with us. They're really hearing us and we're hearing them more importantly. And now making our programs, our policies, practice and procedures to follow through with what they feel their needs are. Because what? who knows their family better than the parent? Who knows their children better than the parent? 
and, and there's so many agencies, sometimes we could have all the good, uh, you know, uh, programs we want to have, but then it may not be effectively for what we're looking for, especially in the areas, uh, as, uh, you know, Sam we talked about earlier, earlier, sometimes different geographic have different needs. So one side doesn't fit all. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so you may have something that says, hey, this is a you know, evidence-based study. We have all these things that show if we do this, here's the outcome. And then you take the same evidence-based and put it in an area that doesn't have the same needs, and they never listen to the families, it's not working. And they're wondering why it's not. So the other one, increased responsibilities to the family, identifying their needs. And so that kind of refers to what I said earlier. It just increases that. Now we're looking at, okay, what is it that stretches the family? What is it that we could do, first of all, honor that parent for being strong, you know, fighting for their child. No matter what situation, you know, I'm a grandparent raising grandkids. So my daughter, uh, you know, got through some things and she has the other four. We have the four that we adopted, but we still have to work as a family together. So what can I do to strengthen her to make sure that the other four kids? So there's no sense of me talking about, la, 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 you know, she did this. You know? <laughs> we just say all kind of things, but we don't look at what is her needs? What is it that we can help? to help provide for her to be able to keep the rest of the family together. And then of course, for us, how do we keep the siblings in uh, touch with each other? So that's been a kind of a challenge, but it's part of the things we do. And agencies can help that be better when they look at, you know, what is a family unit? You know, not all families are the same. There's all different, you know, scenarios for different families. So uh, develop a fresh perspective on how, you know, services could be delivered. I mean, that's the big aha moment. I, I think I, well, maybe not to you guys, but I told a story earlier where there was a school that was uh, not having their kids, uh, the family's kids were coming to school. So agencies got together and say, hey, what is the problem? So they kind of took a geographics uh, survey of this, the area and they said, well, they need sidewalks. So we'll go ahead and build them sidewalks so they can walk to school. And so they built these sidewalks and the kids... Uh, we're still coming to school. And so they finally decided to ask the parents, why are you not bringing your kids to school? And the parents said, it's because of the dogs and the snake. <laughs> so it wasn't the sidewalk, it was there was do- loose dogs and snakes around. So if they would have asked the parent, maybe they could have had a more effective uh, resource to be able to provide so kids could get to school safely, whether it's a bus system or something else. So that is kind of aha moments. A lot of times the agency, we've been trying to work on this. We've been trying to figure it out. And here's the parent. It just told us a solution. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and like, like you mentioned, every family is different. And so every family is going to have barriers. And, and the question you just brought up about, about dogs and snakes, you know, I don't think they're dealing with that problem in, in the Bronx, New York. I don't think they're dealing with that problem in, in you know, uh, in, let's say, Alaska, maybe the dogs. But I mean, if you start to think about it, what's what's on paper needs to fit in with what's really going on. Um, but you mentioned something, you know, Bruce mentioned something here, Sam. Bruce mentioned the cants. You know, there's lots of cants out there. So what have you seen as kind of like those biggest barriers, those biggest cants that states and agencies are facing when, when they're trying to incorporate parents within their systems? Well, Tom, uh, yeah, you- you have different regions, you have different areas, um, and different problems depending on what region you're at in terms of the barriers. 
but uh, and, and as we know, in the normal some in some regions you have transportation uh, or child care issues and things of that nature. Uh, but uh, I think one of the biggest things is uh, uh, systems uh, need to understand real time, no matter what region or what area of the country they're in. They need to understand the real time that those parents are, are facing. And uh, one thing I see, and I, I hear parents all the time, uh, you know, a lot of parents are going through trauma, toxic stress, and a lot of things, uh, uh, trying to make ends meet. And, and you got all these practitioners, people around them, they're getting paid. And I believe that parents are, are need to be compensated for their time. Uh, they're, they're human, and they're like any other uh, hardworking citizen. And they need to be compensated for their time. And, and we need to understand that. And, and somehow there has to be leverage uh, with systems and to understand that uh, we have bills too. Uh, we have families. Uh, we need to spend time with our children, with their homework, and with their social-emotional development. And, uh, and, and it costs. And, and, and you take away from that parent's uh, maybe opportunity to look for uh, the type of work or extra work or, or things for their own children. So we want to be real with this. Uh, I, I, I think this is one of the uh, biggest barriers is parents need to be compensated, value uh, for their time. You know, you're bringing up something and, and, and that's really important that I wanted to bring up about the Parent Advisory Council. And so, Jessica, I'm not, you know, I want to kind of bring this to you about the fact that folks like a Parent Advisory Council, folks in your roles, Jessica, you're able to help parents become advocates, their own advocates. You know, where is the, 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 the strength and the power of not only parents advocating for themselves, but having that kind of parent advisory council, those on their side, you know, encouraging them to, to, to be advocates for themselves. The biggest thing that parents are that when you're helping parents to, to learn to advocate, you need to break down any stigmas there are about child welfare or any other organization that, um, maybe they're being pushed into working with, or they might want to work with, but they're like, I don't know, because I've, I've heard these things. I think first you need to break down the stigmas about these organizations because a few bad experiences shouldn't dictate a whole program. And then secondly, I think that you need to let them truly understand that those agencies are in place to help them strengthen their family and get it back to a healthier, happier place. I think you also need to... Um, and this is this ties in with the previous question. I think this is a barrier that um, you need to break down the terminology you're using with parents. You can't use acronyms that you might use every day with a parent and expect them to understand what you're talking about because it's just not going to happen. If you, your agency wants to work with a parent, then they need to take the time for the education of the, termino the common terminology used, whether it be in a meeting or um, co-facilitating at a workshop so that they fully understand 
what is happening around them. And not only that, but you also need to um, let the staff know that you're bringing parents on board. You need the parents. They matter. And get everybody on board with, um, you know, working with them on, you know, friendly terms, respecting them, just as they would any other coworker. And I think that you need to connect with them um, because when you're working with parents in the child welfare system, you need to connect with them on some level because practitioners can be really intimidating. And if parents are working with other parents, then they're not as intimidating because they can relate to another parent and they don't see them as a threat, whereas they do with a practitioner. And I also think that um, they need to know that their voice matters and that change is only going to happen if they choose to speak up. Programs are only going to know when there's an issue or when something's not working right if they speak up. And it doesn't matter if they are advocating at their child's pediatrician office, their child's school, they're advocating on a, a citywide um, level to maybe get a stop sign in place where there should be one, or a state level to um, help advocate for laws that are going to be harmful to children of all ages, such as changing uh, health care and whatnot. Teaching them that they matter, getting them to believe that they matter, and encouraging them and constantly letting them know that, you know, you support them 100%. Those are, those are big roles in incorporating um, parents into the child welfare system. You know, this brings up something Bruce mentioned a, a number of minutes ago about getting in front of legislators, getting in front of decision makers, and that the power of hearing directly from someone's experience resonates. And so, so, so kind of empowering that with those parents is, is pretty powerful because it is their perspective and they're the ones you know, kind of change has to start right there. And uh, if 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 you're not going to be, uh, if you don't feel like you've got some power in your own voice, then there's no momentum that's going to get started. So, Bruce, if you sometimes, yeah. sometimes organizations are hindered by how far they can advocate because of you know whether or not they'll you know continue to receive grants or donations based on what they do. So that's why it's really important to utilize parents um, who, who agree with what the organization might want, but their hands are tied. Because if you teach them the proper ways to advocate, um, they could start soaring. So in case there's, you know, for those out there that uh, working in agencies that want to expand the reach 
of a parent's voice or take better advantage or start to incorporate parents. Bruce, what's the, you know, we've talked about a number of different things. What is the one important factor, the most important factor for a state or for an agency that they must have uh, to making involving those parents and making involving their voices, you know, successful and sustainable? Well, you said one, but for me, the one, the, the greatest one is that that with Jessica referred to, Sam referred to, we all refer to, is that parents and practitioners have equal uh, partners. You know, that one is not looked upon as inferior. So a parent is just not somebody who's coming in just to support your program, and that's the only thing you want to use them for. But they're actually a partner that's equal to what you are doing. So referring to Sam as well, sometimes partners need to be paid like the other partner. (laughs) In order to to be able to advocate and not have to worry about how I'm going to have childcare, how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to do that. So to me, that thing where you can finally, the agency says, you know what, they're equal partners. Because what is the whole goal of an agency in the first place? The goal is to be able to help the family. <laughs> I mean, if they're an agency that deals with family, whether it's through child welfare or whether it's through uh, foster care, and it's really that goal is that I'm there for the family. And what better way to help the family than empower the parent to have an equal partner voice. Well, that's that's you know, that's the title of this episode is the power of the parent's voice, and that means you know not only getting the parents to recognize that they have power, but also providing power within the agency to say you know their voice matters and their perspective matters. Sam, you've got a state or, or an agency that they want to incorporate or, or increase the, the parent voice involvement. Where do they start? Well, Tom, uh, number one, they start off with taking off the practitioner hat and uh, put on their parent hat and, and uh, try to understand uh, some of the things that uh, these are parents to and try to build a relationship uh, with the uh, those parents with uh, uh, many evidence-based programs that's, that's out there and, uh, and uh, focus on taking a deeper dive when it comes to encouraging parents to support each other. But, uh, but mainly, you know, we as t- practitioners, and we, we say we want to help parents, we want to do this and that. We have good meetings and we all meet together. But, you know, they, they, a lot of practitioners don't really leverage their voice. They really don't even move the needle. And we got to practice what you preach. You really got to write down that information, follow up with those parents, and put them into program. Write them into programs. Uh, that's important, and uh, that will make that uh, parent feel important. And, and another thing, parents—they're uh, not practitioners, and a lot of them may not have the, the level of education and expertise that pr- practitioners have. And one thing I do appreciate uh, the the PAC team. We, we we had a training call on strategic storytelling. Sometimes we get out, we talk to legislators and we talk to practitioners and just spilling the beans uh, and, and not saying it in a way that uh, uh, they, 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 the, the legislators and many others lose the point because they get wrapped up in a lot of detail. So we went through a, a special training called strategic storytelling and that gave that uh, gave us ammunition, gave us uh, the tools that we need to use in, in order to articulate and to tell our story without telling our whole business. So parents need ongoing training and how to communicate. 
and how to uh, talk to legislators and practitioners. I think that would be a plus uh, for uh, any uh, state agency. You know, that brings up a good point because you share the story, but if you've got a legislator or a decision maker, you've got to make sure that they understand what can they do to institute change. So it's just not the story itself, it's what can somebody do in their position of power that if they did X, Y, and Z, we could have better outcomes. Jessica? I think um, agencies and states can also, uh, to further on what Sam was saying, not only invite them to conferences and whether they're, you know, they're state or national, but bring them along keep their training going because if they're current on what's current in, you know, the child welfare, you know, field, then they will be able to better advocate not only for their own families, for other families, for the agency, for their state. And the more they know, the more, the farther they're going to go. You know, you you bring up something that's very important because we talk about giving the parent perspective to kind of get those aha moments. And so then agencies can then see, geez, that's the barriers they're dealing with. Sharing with the parents of, hey, here's the barriers that a legislator may deal with. So they're able to say, hey, here's how you can get around that to help folks like me. Bruce? Yeah, and one of the things I I think that should be forgotten, that with their program and planning, the PIPs, there are other things that they fall short of. And agencies, when they get their end of the year report and they they look at all the different reports of where they're short, it usually comes into the parents, the fathers, you know, the other pieces that are uh, they're trying to lift up so they can have a an end of the year where they look at that funding. They can say we meeting these obligations. We're actually achieving these obligations. So having that parent voice uh, resolves a lot of that because usually where the dig is and where the uh, the marks are being lowered is because that parent voice isn't there. And when you talk about uh, turnovers of child welfare, especially our social workers, when you have a parent that's cooperating and they help other parents cooperate, how less strenuous is it for social workers to be able to have, you know, where they're not fighting all these other things? And so... I think when we're saying all that we're saying, it also benefits the bottom line of organizations. And that bottom line is, are they meeting the needs that they're getting funded for? And so when they have the big program and planning, when they have their annual year report, they got to show that they're meeting those obligations and not just saying a check mark. They say, oh, yeah, we had a parent, <laughs> you know, but actually, as Jessica and Sam would say, really make them involved and be a part of that. So you can now, at the end of the year, or with that five year or however they do, you really can say, here's what's going on. And other states can then follow through and use some of those uh, good resources as well. I think basically what it comes down to if if uh, states, agencies, organizations aren't willing to include parents in meaningful ways, then they're not going to sustain parent involvement because parents need to feel like whatever they're volunteering for is productive and that they matter. Guys, I really, really appreciate not only the time that you're spending with us today, but but sharing your stories. And I'll, and I'll remind the audience, we're going to have some links on, on the webpage to this podcast where you're going to be able to listen to a number of different stories, including a couple in Spanish 
uh, as well that have been have been produced and are being shared. And so you get a sense of 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 the power of the parents' voice. So. Bruce Bynum, Sam Blue, Jessica Deal, I thank you guys so much for your time and being part of the, of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So nice to be a part. So glad to have Sam Blue, Bruce Bynum, and Jessica Deal share their stories and insight with us. Now, if you head to this podcast webpage, we'll point you to both the Parent Advisory Council's webpage and the link for you to check out the series of those recorded parent stories. Just jump over to acf.hhs.gov cb and search podcasts. You'll find this episode under Power of the Parent's Voice. We'll also point you to a series of other resources about engaging in involving parents and families, along with the other episodes featuring community prevention efforts coordinated and supported by the Friends National Center for Community-Based Child Abuse Prevention. So any other resource or information needs you're looking for, reach out to Child Welfare Information Gateway over at info at childwelfare.gov. We've got a team of information support specialists that can help you with your research or, or program searches or find useful tools and information that you can provide to parents and families. So thanks so much for joining us here for this episode of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. I'm Tom Oates, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.